Now, it's Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard, Certified Practicing Accountant and Financial Advisor. Welcome along to Thursday Finance, Stephen Pritchard. Uh, of course, another guest you've got for us later this afternoon. Yeah, we've got uh, Jack Lowenstein from uh, Morphic Asset Management. He's the Chief Investment Officer and he's going to talk about um, ethical investing or, or as it's sometimes known now, responsible investing. So um, he was one of the first fund managers in Australia that actually had an ethical investment portfolio back at the days at Hunter Hall. Okay. So, so he's going to talk to him about that a bit later. So he's gone ethical back in the Wild West days, oh, the cowboy yeah, well, days. One of, the, one of the few people before <laughs> the term was... Uh, Time to have a, a bit of a look through all the currencies and commodities. How's our money, Stephen? Is it all there still? Well, it's a bit all over the place, but it's generally all still here. So... Um, Gold investors are a bit worse off for the week. It was down uh, $5.28 an ounce to $1,856 Australian. Uh, the copper price was up $219 a tonne to $9,073 a tonne. And the crude oil price was down $1.70 a barrel to $91.95 Australian. And the currency prices, well, generally we're a little bit better off except uh, against the Great British pound. So uh, the Australian dollar, you know, we've had a bit of a you know wild ride in the Australian dollar over the last week. I say up and down a, a, a cent a day is, is a big movement. And a couple of days, that's what happened. But we're basically back where we started from last week. We're up half a point four cent on the week to seventy one point three seven cents. So, so if we're up and down by a cent, which doesn't sound like, like you say, that can make a huge oh, difference. It's a huge difference, yeah, especially if you're importing or exporting business and you haven't hedged positions. Um, Bainey was reacting to the uh, this this concern about the blockade of Australian coal going into China uh-huh. ports. That That's what affected the exchange rate. And, you know, the exchange rate tends to overreact to both good and bad news mm. and... Um, and the Great British Pound, um, we were we were down against that to 53.65 pence. Um, the New Zealand dollar, uh, we're pretty much steady against that $1.04. And the euro was pretty much steady at 62.78 euro pence. Euro cents compared to 62.57 euro cents last week. So, um, if you're going overseas, um, pretty much back where we were at the end of last week. Um, and the all ordinaries market, the equity markets around the world, they're, they're pretty much stable as well. The all ordinaries was 6,233 uh, closed yesterday, which is down 19 point. Oh, sorry, up 19 points on the week. Uh, S&P 500 was up 17.5 points to 2,792. Uh, the UK index was down. 60.2 to to point uh, 60.2 to 7,107, and uh, the Nikkei uh, was up 92.3 to 21,556. So really, I mean, there's no real major changes across the world equity markets last week. Um, the stocks that local investors got an interest in, um, the BHP uh, $37.68, which was was down 17 cents on the week. Uh, CBA which was $73.65, which was up 55 cents on the way. And NIB was $5.77, which was up 17 cents on the way. And uh, Telstra, Telstra was down 9 cents to $3.13. So pretty much, um, you know, the, no real trends there. And the fuel prices in Newcastle was uh, $1.34.5 a litre, which was up uh, almost 6 cents on last week. 
and the Sydney price was a dollar thirty-eight point three, which was up seventeen cents on last week. So. Oh, so it's all up. It's all up. It's that's, cheaper to fill up in Newcastle than Sydney, but it's still up. So that's that's still the way up. my petrol tank's sitting on empty, and now I've got to go out with higher prices, Stephen. That's not good. Well, it doesn't make that. I mean, how big is your petrol tank? Oh yeah, about yo big. So uh, about 50 litres, probably most seem to be about 50 litres, so that's going to cost you an extra, what, $2.50. Oh, I can live with that. You can, I just half, buy, half a cappuccino. I just, I'll just bypass the, the food on the way in. Uh, <laughs> I, I would just go to the first service station, to be honest. It's not worth driving down to say, you'll soon churn up $2.50. Never been one that does. Never been one Yeah, but some people do, and, and diesel, diesel $1.45 litre in Newcastle, $1.45.8. Compared to last week, a dollar forty-four point eight, so it's up a cent. And in Sydney, a dollar forty-two point six. Compared to a dollar forty point three, so it's up two point three cents in Sydney. Some of the stories, Stephen, making people with their money get a bit all excited this afternoon. Starting with Rio, with some dividends they're paying. Yeah, Rio Rio's announced uh, what can only be described as bumper dividends for the for the half year. So they're going to pay their ordinary dividend, which is a dollar eighty US, which converts to about two dollars fifty AUD. So that's the same as last year. Um, and then they also announced a special dividend, a special, a big special dividend of three dollars eighty seven per share, um, which is. Um, Three dollars eighty Australian. I can't actually remember what it was in uh, close enough. US so for those who might not be familiar, the difference between a dividend and a special dividend being well, well the normal dividend is uh, Rio pays dividends half yearly. Mm-hmm. So the normal dividends um, just what's paid all the time. A special dividend is they're paying out principally because they've sold some assets in um, Indonesia and they want to distribute the proceeds of those sale to uh, their shareholders. So their underlying profit was only up about 2%, but, but you know, you're going to get almost $5, five dollars of... $5. Uh, over 6 Over $6, yeah, yeah. Over $6 a share dividend coming up. <coughs> I think it's probably the end of April. So it's not bad. Rio's share prices, um, I'm just under 100 today. That's so not bad if you got a little bit of that tucked away bad. somewhere. That's great. Rio, Rio's had a good run, actually. It wasn't so long ago it was $60. Oh, well, that and is during a... the GFC, they had to do an emergency rights issue down in the low 20s, I think. So, so, so there you go. Just a couple of years, well, a few years, then things can... An excellent return over the 10 years. They can so. turn around. Uh, milk is never too far uh, away from Bellamy's, the news. Yeah, so, so we've, last week or the week before, we were talking about A2's record results. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the record results has, appears to have come at the cost of Bellamy. Bellamy's claim that they've lost market share to A2, need to rebuild their market share, and as a result of that, that um, their profits fallen from 22.4 million last year to 8.1 million. So Bellamy's was kind of first selling this organic milk products into China, and then A2 came along with their special um, protein mm. Milk product. That's right. You mentioned this last week. Yeah. It was all sort of go, 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 and then the the, the bottom just seemed to yeah. fall out of overnight. Yeah, so anyhow, so the Bellamy's has lost market share and they claim they're going to rebuild it. Um, Costa, we've got a few not-so-good results here, actually, I suppose. Costa Group, their profit fell from 28.6 to 8.5. Um, they're blaming principally the new avocado business that... Um, that um, that they bought hasn't performed as expectations. However, they're saying they still expect the profit by the end of the year to be thirty. The profit by the end of the calendar year to be up thirty percent on last year. So that's that's an interesting comment. The other interesting comment I found that was that um, that that apparent and this kind of 
coincides with my experience that apparently 47% of the avocados that are imported from New Zealand are, uh, are brown in the middle. Oh, so yeah. by the time that they don't like that slow boat ride over or something? Oh, I don't know. I just yeah. thought that interesting because I noticed we've bought a few and they've, they've, they've been uh, not the best. Uh, so anyhow, so anyhow, Costa claims they're going to improve the avocado production in Australia and... and, and get them green on the inside might be a green good like start. supposed to be. And more dairy, this time bigger cheese. Uh, bigger cheese, bigger cheese, bigger cheese profit fell also. It falls, it fell from 20.5 million to 4.99 million. Um, for the half year, They're, they've maintained their dividend of 5.5 cents a share. And Vega's blaming um, their uh, difficulty in securing supply as a reason for their profit shortage. They're having to pay more for their milk. Vega's interesting. I mean, it's expanding from their um, from their just their their milk processing business on the south coast um, to they bought uh, a lot of the craft cheese business. Mm. They're having to closed their factory in Coburg because they've bought the Murray Goldman factory and one of the reasons they're closing their Coburg factory is they can't keep up with the demand for, uh, for mozzarella and parmesan. So obviously there's a big growth in Italian type cheeses that Bega's trying to fulfil and of course they've also bought the, um, the Vegemite the Vegemite back from foreign interest <coughs> and they've also bought the Kraft Peanut Butter brand which has rebadged Bega. And of course Kraft's trying to come back into the market now but um, Bega's peanut butter is made with Australian peanuts and Kraft's peanuts are going to be imported. So, so we'll see what sort of interest that has. There's a court case going on there. So, so Bega, I think Bega's a kind of a stock becoming a bit of a champion stock for Australian brands. Um, and then uh, Nutrien, which is a, a Canadian uh, company, has made a, a takeover bid for Rulco. And Rulco is what's basically called a rural agency business. They're managing in the rural areas. They supply, um, uh, uh, you know, seed and pest control and all those type of things that farmers have got. And they also uh, they also run a, quite a large real estate agency in Tasmania called Roberts. So Rulco is a, a Canadian... Uh, sorry, Nutrien is a Canadian firm. They've bid $4.40 plus a special dividend of $0.90 cents for Rilco. Rilco was trading about $3 until the announcement came out. So it's interesting that a lot of Canadian agricultural business seem to be making, um, trying to buy up Australian agricultural businesses. You saw Saputo buy up uh, Warnable Cheese and Butter and part of Murray Golan. And you've also seen now a new, another new, another Canadian business by um, Rural Co. This is sort of going on on the sort of kind of under the radar because you hear a lot of, of times a lot of noise with Chinese interest buying stuff in Australia, and now we're seeing a lot of Canadian stuff happening. Not hearing about it. Yeah, I, I, I think that's probably because the Chinese interest stuff you 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 see them buying are probably more um, residential stuff, trophy houses. Whereas the average person probably doesn't even know that Rural Co exists. And, Fair you know, point. And a lot of these infrastructure-type companies that, that are there, like Grain Corp, um, Rural Co, um, the average probably person... They're, they're not household names. They're not household yeah. names, yeah. Whereas if a Chinese interest made a takeover, well, if a Canadian interest made a takeover for Bega, I'm sure you'd know that. That's a fair point. Now, yeah. uh, vitamins, Blackmores. Blackmores. Well, Blackmores came out last week, and I think it was last week or the week after, before, anyway. Blackmores was, uh, had their results out, 
and um, the results were a bit disappointing because they said that, you know, that they didn't know the Chinese were coming and then the Chinese left and they weren't queuing up at the factory gates anymore. So the new CEO's only been there about 12 months. He's decided to step aside and Blackmore's are going to take a new direction of trying to increase sales directly into China rather than relying on these these people lining up at the factory gates and buying it and then shipping it over to China and making the mark up them. So Blackmore's is going to try and do that themselves. See how they go. And Bingo Industries, that's one I haven't heard of. Bingo? Yeah. Bingo. Bingo, yep. not bingo. Yeah, bingo. Bingo. Yep. So bingo is a waste disposal business. You see their skips, you know those skips around? Yes. Okay, so bingo concentrates more on um, building waste. Um, so when, you know, there's building sites, there's stuff being demolished, a Tuesday bingo takes it away to uh, uh, to various landfill sites. So um, their profit was down marginally um, from 17.8 to 13.4 million. They're blaming the... Um, downturn in the construction sector, Fair which enough. is interesting. Mm. Yes. Yeah, depends yeah. on where you are. And uh, mm. finally, uh, A2B Limited. Yeah, A2B, yeah, that's the old cab charge. So um, it's got some new management in there. They, they run um, a number of the taxi services and they also run the cab charge payment system. So their profit was quite good. It was 5.53 million compared to a loss of 5.1 million. Um, they're going to pay a dividend of, of um, four cents per share. And it was interesting, the MD's comment says that the traditional taxi services will eventually win out, win out against ride-sharing services. So that they, that is very interesting. They're quite confident. Yeah. yeah well, obviously thinking long-term on that, I'd say. Well, because Uber, the parent company, doesn't actually, hasn't actually made any money. And it keeps relying on its ability to raise capital to keep going. And apparently um, the drivers, once you're factoring what they're actually getting back for it's their It's not work, a lot. It's not a lot. No, so, it really isn't. So you can see why the taxi model, the taxi businesses, particularly when it's turning around like this, is hopeful that the traditional taxi model is going to win. I mean, we were in New York about two years ago. We got the taxi in from the airport and it cost 50-something US dollars and our friends... Were very smart, and they got Uber in, and they mm. tell me how cheap it was, and it was cost 150 US. <laughs> they, so, so it's not always the cheapest. It's often perception with a lot yeah, of these things too. Yeah, it's a perception. Yeah. yeah. Good afternoon to you, Jack. Hi, Jack. How are you? We're good. So I thought today we're going to talk about about uh, a bit about ethical investment and 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 and, and, the, and the new term responsible investment. And I thought we'd get you as as being one of the earliest adopters of ethical investment back in the days of uh, what was that Hannah Hall? Um, Correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that was quite a good fun when you were when you were the chief investment officer there. So I thought we might talk about the difference between responsible investment styles and ethical investment styles to start with. Yeah. So responsible investment is basically the umbrella term that covers all kinds of investing from uh, things like uh, traditional ethical investing, which focused on avoiding bad industries like gambling and tobacco. Um, that's the old, that's, that used to be called ethical investing, and it still carries that name quite a lot. And then uh, that evolved into a broader thing called ESG, which is environmental, social, and governance investing, where you try to avoid bad companies, but you also try to invest in in uh, companies where you saw progress in things like governance. So a company that had bad corporate governance but was in clearly improving 
was a positive thing you tried to invest it. So that was a bit of a wrinkle there. Yeah. And then, um, and more recently, you've had this uh, this concept of what's called sustainable mm-hmm. investing, which is where you try and identify um, uh, companies uh, in industries that are doing things that will make the world a better place. So not only do you avoid the bad guys, you try to actively invest in, in the good guys. And that used to be called positive screen investing, and now the, the name they use that is sustainable investing. And those are the, that's the, if you like, the broad church is responsible investing, and the different uh, sects or religious denominations are ethical, ESG, and sustainable. But they have some crossovers between them. Okay, and so 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 what's the what's the impact investing? Can that can be ethical or unethical? Basically, yeah, impact investing is is like a softer version of sustainable, but with the uh, with, with the additional element that you're really doing the investing to try and channel um, uh, capital into uh, things you think will make the world a better place, but with perhaps less consideration for whether you'll actually make money from them. Um, so it's like a cha- if, if I put it simply, it's like it's like a charitable in, uh, donation uh, in a in a in a, um, a structure where you might make some money, but if you don't, you don't worry about it too much. Okay, so that's a, like a lot of those church deposit funds they kind of run that people deposit money with them to further the church's causes, and and then there's philo- philo- philanthropy. So, yes, philanthropy. Well, that's just basically giving your money away, yep. <laughs> and uh, and um, and um, and of course that sometimes, well, quite often, um, has a tax benefit. So people do that also with an aim, with an aim to to give away their own money and get some tax benefit for it. Um, right. Okay. So they, that, that's like giving money to charities so they get a tax deduction. And correct, funding correct. Things like that, and so why, 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 why is this? Why do you think that this is becoming more relevant, and more important? This responsible investing. I mean, I, I know we we're getting asked for it, but why do you think that's happening as well? Well, look, I think many years ago there was an assumption that if you did responsible investing, whether it was the sort of old-fashioned ethical or sustainable or ESG, you might have to give up some investor investment returns for. Um, making that decision and uh, I think today the, the reason why there's more and more interest in it is that people um, there's, a, there's a lot of people who just don't want to get richer by making the world a poorer place mm-hmm. so that's a, that's the first drive the second uh, point and this is something we believe in very strongly at Morphic Asset Management is that um, by doing these things we should over the long term actually be um, making more money for investors and taking less risk and I'll give you an example of that. I mean, you know, there, there are industries which we think are fundamentally unsustainable that may not exist in 10 years' time. And people will scratch their heads thinking, how the hell these businesses ever exist? And the obvious one on, in that case is tobacco. Oh, I'm not offending any smokers out there. But, you know, um, I mean, tobacco kills you. There's, you know, there's, no, there's not really much dispute about that. The, the tobacco companies tried to hide that fact, even though they knew about it for 30 years, and now they're facing endless lawsuits. So there's really no reason why why companies that sell cigarettes should exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so we think it's a real risk to invest in those companies. There's lots of temptations for risk, like the fact these companies pay quite high dividends, but ultimately if those companies cease to exist, um, you'll lose your money. Mm-hmm. And so our view is that, uh, is that by avoiding investing in companies like tobacco, tobacco companies, we are actually reducing risk for our investors. 
Mm-hmm. And that seems to us to be fairly black and white. Um, there's always a question about timing. Um, you, you may, you, we may have to wait a while to be proven wrong, um, but we do think we know where we're headed. Yeah. Then you come to things like corporate governance. We just think fundamentally companies with poor corporate governance are riskier than companies with good corporate governance. And best of all, we like to find companies that have aren't perfect but are getting better. Um, mm-hmm. And then we think we're taking we're taking we're, we're getting paid to take a risk, but we think the risk is going down over time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there's a big there's a big increase in people looking for these. Just looking at some of these stats here, there's a big increase in people looking for responsible investment opportunities. By the looks of it, there is a big increase. I mean, the, there's um, uh, in in Australia, as far as we can tell, uh, the, the the growth of responsible investing. This is based on data that comes from the Responsible Investment Association of Australasia, and for the most part, it, it basically went up. Um, about 250% between 2014 and 2016, as far as we can get the data. But we're pretty confident it's gone up more since then. Mm -hmm. I think what's perhaps most important is that uh, younger people really attach importance to this. Now, you know, um, they haven't yet got a lot of uh, of free investable income, but apparently if you ask uh, millennials, my children, for example, uh, uh, they will tell you that, you know, that that overwhelmingly they'll tell you that, that, that the the impact of what they're doing from their investments is very important to them and they don't want to invest in, in bad companies that are destroying the planet because they have a view they've got to live in that planet. Jack, is that something that changes? Is that something that changes over time though? Or or do you find that some of the younger people that come in continue with that way of thinking as they, they grow older? Well it's 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 um hard for me to generalise there, but all I can say is I'm I am now, and I've really struggled to believe this, but I'm 62 years old, uh, and uh, I'm hoping I'll be on this earth for another 30 years. And, um, and uh, you know, I, so I, I have a view about the future, but I know my children who are, who are 18 and 21, they're going to be on this earth for probably another 70 years. Uh, and I, I think that the, the idea that, that these, um, these issues are going to go away as they get richer for them is unlikely, because of the... the uh, particularly things like um, global warming and, and climate change. They're really, I mean, I don't know about you, if you talk to your children, but my children actually worry about these things in a quite sort of existential way. Um, and I think they're going to go on worrying about it more as those impacts start getting greater. Uh, I mean, my son's 20, and he's definitely got a different view of things than, what, than, than you or I might have. <laughs> well, I think more importantly, they have a different view of, of, of things from the way we thought when we were 20. Just just back on the children, Jack, I, I was just thinking about that. One of, one of the other things I think is the children are more educated um, than what we were at the same age. I think they are. I think that's definitely true. They're, they're, yeah, I mean, well, these, these, it's not, not they're better educated. They're, these weren't issues when we were growing up, and they are issues now. Yeah, yeah. And we probably wouldn't have been aware of them at age 18 or 19, whereas the, the kids these days seem to be. So, so one of the major things about investing is people are people are looking for returns. Of course, generally they're looking for returns. So, if they if they use this responsible investing, what what sort of returns are we going to? Are we going to get lower returns, or what? What what's the history show on that? Look, um, you know, there's been lots of academic research on this, uh, and. You know, like most most academic research, you're going to get people who can find find what they're looking for to some degree. I'm sorry to sound so cynical, yeah, no, that's um, true. but but having said that, um, 
uh, UBS, which is one of the best stockbroking companies in the world, one of the global stockbroking companies, they, they did a, a, a review of all the academic studies that they could get their hands on, and um, they, 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 they found that actually um, if you combine a negative screen, that is you, 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 you avoid the bad guys, and you try and pick um, the, the sustainable companies, you do that in a, in a single portfolio, you tend to outperform over time. Now, they're going to be very clear. You're going to get volatility in that because to give you the most obvious example, when the, when the oil price goes up, oil stocks go up. Mm-hmm. So if you're avoiding investing in fossil fuel companies, as we do, for example, you have to accept that you're going to go through periods of underperformance when the oil price goes up and you'll get a tailwind when the oil price goes down. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be volatile, but nevertheless, over time, by avoiding the bad guys and investing in the good guys, according to UBS's, what they call a meta-study, looking at all, a study of the studies, they found that you, you did not get any lower returns, you got slightly better returns. Um, the other thing, that, that the other study that, that, that I think we, we paid a lot of attention to um, is that uh, if it's pretty clear now that avoiding companies that have got obvious uh, corporate governance problems is a way to avoid risk and get better returns. Um, so that's another another sort of a linchpin to our strategy. We 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 don't mind as I say. I'll be very clear. We don't expect perfection. The problem with perfection is that you can only go one way. Mm-hmm. So just investing in companies with perfect corporate governance is actually a risk itself. But if you can find companies uh, where there have been a few problems, they're not fatal, and the, <coughs> the company's recognizing the challenges and trying to make improvements, then you can hit a real, a real, you know, a really very, very good, good place. So what do you look for uh, uh, in this, <laughs> this good and bad corporate governance? What do you actually look for there? Okay, well, first of all, I mean, there's lots of, um, of mathematical data on this, which, which has some, is some help, like, you know, a board, a board diversity. Yeah. Having a mix of males and females on boards definitely helps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, although there are problems there, which I'll come to in a minute. Um, having a good uh, a majority of uh, non-executive directors, people who are acting as custodians for the shareholders in oversight uh, of the management, that is generally a good thing. Mm-hmm. The only problem with the, all this, this stuff is, of course, you can measure these by numbers quite easily, but mm-hmm. you know, um, you, you, they, they, the numbers may hide the detail, if you like, in each case. Yep. Um, so you, uh, we were also very focused, for example, I mean, one of the side effects of, of quite rightly improving female representation on boards is that because successful women tend to have done best in the professions, you tend to have seen a tilt towards more lawyers and accountants on boards rather than people who actually had experience running businesses. Yep. So we're, we, we want to make sure that that secondary effect doesn't overwhelm the first effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I, but our view is that, that, that there are a lot of um, uh, companies out there selling services that will pretend to give you an ESG score for every company and so on. We avoid that. Uh, we look at we don't invest in the whole market. We invest in individual stocks. So we do it on a stock by stock basis. And we're looking for um, you know if if there's been a succession of of related party transactions where the man- I mean the management have been getting benefits um, from their involvement in the company that shareholders didn't get, 
in, in, a, in a poorly disclosed manner. That's a real issue. And mm -hmm. there's been a lot of controversy recently about Village Roadshow, yes. um, which I'm sure you've been covering. Yep. Um, and yeah, uh, clearly that, you know, we, we, many years ago, and I was on the hall, we were an investor in Village Roadshow preference shares, and we ended up having a battle royal with the Kirby brothers uh, uh, who run the company and, uh, and the major shareholders over the way they were treating minority shareholders. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, all the warning signs were there. Uh, we end up with a, what I would call a, a slight game draw in that battle and, and, and vowed never to look at the company again. And if you look at what's happened to the share price recently, there's all these uh, revelations have come out about mm -hmm. the poor governance. Mm -hmm. um, you can see that the red flags were there to see. You were best to stay away. Yes. Jack, it looks like we've run out of time. Very interesting chat. I'm sure Steve will have you on again somewhere down the road. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jack. It's been a privilege. I'll, I'll, next time I come, I want to go up to Newcastle and be in the studio with you. You can come up any time, Jack. I've told you that before. <laughs> I know. Okay. Bye. Thanks, Jack. Did you see what he did there, Steve? He made out like it was your fault that he hasn't been, like you haven't been oh, invited. That's, that's, <laughs> that's all good. Jack Lowenstein on ethical investment. And I guess uh, in about 10 seconds, Stephen, just a different way of looking at yeah, your Yeah, I mean, ethical investment's a different way. And ethical, as Jack said, ethical investment means different things to different people. Mm. You know, we've got a couple of clients who uh, have what I call an ethical overlay on their portfolio, and we always have to check with them more in mm. detail um, and what goes into their particular portfolio than other clients like they, one of them particularly doesn't like investing in shopping centres that um, someone else will be fine with that and yeah with the alcohol. major ones are out of course the major ones are alcohol tobacco um, and those type of things good program as always Stephen you'll be back next week for another Thursday Finance thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle topics range from gardening to health well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.